Hello, everyone. It's me, Allison. The show is about to start, but just real fast, a quick reminder. I want to tell you guys, um, if you are doing some shopping, perhaps some Black Friday shopping, holiday shopping, etc. Like Christmas type uh, shopping? Christmas type, any sort of shopping at all. I have put together some lists on Amazon. Lists with things stuff. on them? Daniel, just... <laughs> Pipe down for one second. (laughs) Beauty stuff, makeup stuff, home stuff, kids stuff, podcast equipment, books I recommend, all of this stuff. And Daniel's stuff? Oh, yeah. Daniel's Corner, where I put stuff that I know that he likes. But Daniel has recently gotten way more involved. And he put together a special Christmas spectacular gift guide for you. You guys will not even believe it. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what's on there, but it's literally uh, some things. Lots of things. And well, a whole big stuff. caption explaining if his you process. you know someone who's exactly like me, they are going to love it. And here's where you go to see all of this. Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. And we'll be adding to it. It's nonstop, you guys. Yeah. Okay, here's the show. Bye. You guys, I lied. I said the show was starting right now, but I have one more quick announcement. I'm co-hosting a new podcast. It's brand new. It's called Upworthy Weekly. I'm co-hosting it with a guy named Todd Perry, who I'm having so much fun with, although he is wrong about so many things, especially Christmas music, but also other stuff. But anyway, uh, Upworthy Weekly, we come out on Saturdays. Please give it a listen. Subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a comment, a review on Apple Podcasts that helps out the show so much, especially because we are brand new. As I've said, between one and four times right now, I've lost track. But anyway, please give it a listen. Uh, it's a lighthearted news podcast. We're taking a look at the most popular and engaging stories from the week before that ran on Upworthy. And it's, uh, it's just what your holidays need. And then when the holiday, when we're past the holidays, it's just what that part of the year needs. It's just exactly what you need. Please listen to it. Upworthy Weekly, new episodes every Saturday, wherever you get your podcasts. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen. Hey everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. This is the first Monday show that I've recorded in 2022. How about that? So uh, as you know, typically I chat with my producer, Tony Thaxton, at the top of the show about something important like bugs I found in my house, how he's feeling, his hiking regimen, that kind of stuff. However, he's on tour right now with Motion City Soundtrack, but they've been stuck in Chicago for about five days, and it was just announced that the tour is being postponed and rescheduled. He drove he his dog he drove with his dog across country. His dog is at his parents' house, um, so there's some questions about how he's getting back, when he's getting back, etc. Um, I will say I am genuinely bummed for him that his tour is canceled. However. As you know, because I've talked about on the show, 
feel a little bit abandoned by him being like, hey, I'm going to be gone for two months. And by the way, I can't wait to leave. It's I have just like, oh, my God, life is just a series of wake up, take a shower, do your shitty show, go to sleep over and over. I mean, he doesn't call my show shitty, but that's what I hear when he talks about it. So I know that he had been looking forward to this so much. And he described in an Instagram post, he said, not only that he was heart, that this is devastating, but that he's heartbroken with a heartbroken emoji. So again, what I hear is for Tony Thaxton, the idea of having to postpone the tour and come back and work on my show is pretty shitty. So think about that. Anyway, he's not here right now to defend himself, but I'm very, very excited to welcome my guest. This is someone that I knew many moons ago uh, when both he and I were living different lives, and uh, we will get into all of that. It's someone that I've thought often I should have on the show, and then I just I decided, to let, let's just do it. I'm just going to have him on the show. Uh, he is executive editor at large at entertainment weekly okay i worried that i messed up one of those titles it's a weird title (laughs) i don't even know what it means executive editor at large at entertainment weekly where he has worked for over 20 years uh he hosted entertainment weekly's uh uh-oh i don't know the name of the show serious xm show for eight plus years and so much more, married to just an iconic woman from the Sassy Magazine days. And I knew him before they were even together. Again, we'll get into that. Please put your hands together for Dalton Ross. Oh, you're too kind, Allison. I, you know, at first I was very excited that you asked me to be on the show. I'm like, oh my, this is awesome. And I said, wait a minute. I've known this woman for decades. How many episodes of your show have you done now? Like how many episodes? Over a thousand. You okay, Uh-oh. so I see took, where this is going. <laughs> it took it took a thousand plus inter, uh, you know episodes for me to finally get the invite. I was biding my time. I was w- playing the long game. I was playing possum, uh, and it finally worked, I made it on. Thank it you. worked for Thank you. you. Kudos. <laughs> um, I have so much to talk to you about. I mean, we need to go back to like the beginning of yeah. what we were both doing when we met and stuff. But I also just to just to take everyone on a brief tour of where this is going, you have carved a niche out for yourself as like the survivor guy. And I feel like most of the time you're on an island covering survivor. I'm confused about how all that works. I know that you pitched a Christmas movie to Lifetime. I need to hear about that. You fought Oscar De La Hoya. I did. And yet you're still, you're sitting here talking to me. So clearly it turned out okay. Yeah, which is um, weird, Allison, because you, you listen, you've seen me up close. You know that, like, uh, basically, I weigh 140 pounds. I'm super scrawny, and, like, a strong breeze will knock me over. So <laughs> going around against Oscar de la Hoya was uh, was something. Let's just start right there. How did that happen? It basically happened because of my odd, weird obsession with reality TV, especially in the early aughts when that mm. was really taking off and you had all sorts of these weird reality competition shows that I was just really fascinated by. I was really, you know, I like reality TV. I think why most people like reality TV, but I also have this other layer and level where it's just, I was fascinated by these people who were complete nobodies and then plucked into like instant stardom. And then also kind of fascinated by what happens to them after that. 
And like, mm-hmm. then they sort of have to like, do they go back to the regular lives? Do they try and make a run out in Hollywood? Do they try and tran- translate to something? And like, I'm just psychologically, I'm fascinated by everything about it. So anyway, there was this thing where then Mark Burnett, who does Survivor, was starting up a boxing reality show called The Contender. And I don't know how closely, you know, you follow network TV stuff, but there was this time where Fox, basically whenever any network announced a reality show, Fox would then announce the exact same reality show and try and get on the air quicker. So like, <laughs> oh, so wow. It, yeah, this guy, Mike Darnell, who was running reality at Fox at the time, was just like shameless. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, as soon as NBC announced, all right, we've got the contender uh, and we're going to have it's, you know, Sylvester Stallone is involved and Sugar Ray Leonard's hosting that basically Fox said, well, we've got this show called The Next Great Champ. And it's also a boxing reality show and boxers are going to compete and fight each other and try and become, quote, the next great champ. So I decided that, well, how, you know, how hard can it be? How does one become a boxer? So I went and was trained under the trainers on the show, these famous boxing trainers that'll mean nothing to you, but Lou Duva and uh, Tommy Brooks, and then uh, to fight around against Oscar De La Hoya. And and he was honestly, Allison, going up probably about like 10% of his natural speed and power. <laughs> and he just still absolutely like destroyed me. And like he was, you know, teasing me in the ring and mocking me. And like, it was pretty humiliating all the way around. But I mean, of course it was going to be humiliating. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm a weakling. I... I and uh, I got my ass kicked. And I actually had like a, a dent in the side of my head for like a few weeks. I actually had like an indentation on the side of my head. Did, so, uh, yeah. did you have to sign all sorts of paperwork saying like it's essentially okay if he kills you? The weird thing is I don't remember signing anything. I'm sure – Is like, that because of the dent you don't remember? Yeah, it probably is. There's, listen, when we get into <laughs> our history, you'll see there's a lot I don't remember. Uh, but it was, it was a weird experience. And uh, it's funny. The photos from it were really funny because we had to do like a photo shoot for the story. And um, I had them give me the biggest boxing gloves they could find just to accentuate the cartoonish nature of this <laughs> super scrawny weakling like trying to box. So the the photos are hilarious, I you know, and um, the fight was not so hilarious. But, you know, it was – you do whatever you can for the story, Alison. That's the, the moral right, of the story. Right, right. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really interesting talking to you and sort of catching up on, on what you're doing because – I come from magazines too, but at this point, it's been a number of years since I've really been in that world and pitched and all that. Um, I miss it, honestly, but it, it, but for me to think that you're still out there and this sounds weirdly condescending and I don't mean it to, but like this, that's still your world. I'm so curious what it's like now. Although, except that you did, you, you moved into broadcasting and kind of other areas too. Yeah, I did a little bit of both. Um, basically, EW launched a Sirius XM channel and I then did our daily morning show for it for eight years. Uh, it was a, uh, collaboration between EW and Sirius XM and every few years had to be renewed and they renewed it a bunch of times and basically they couldn't agree on the money and now it's gone. Too bad. It's a bummer. So now I'm back to EW full time. Uh, I don't know why you'd get out of the magazine game, Allison. I mean, magazine <laughs> publishing is at a <laughs> record high. I think yeah. everyone's, uh, you know, there's a newsstand on every corner, isn't there? I mean, it yeah. couldn't, the industry couldn't be healthier. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, it is funny and, and because that is how you and I met and it, I wasn't really – Allison at the time – listen, I'll let you take it over in a second because you'll remember a lot more than I will. But you were you were doing a lot of music writing out of Orange County. Mm-hmm. I was working at a record label called Caroline Records, an independent record company, and doing a fanzine out of there. 
And so that was like, I was working on like marketing and the record company stuff, but part of the job was doing this fanzine, which is how I came in touch with you. And then, then I decided I wanted to do writing full time. So I got out of the music industry and went into other stuff, which we can get into later. But how exactly did we? That's what I was trying to remember. So I, uh, was going to Pomona College and I was writing for a magazine called Mean Street, but I'm trying to remember who asked me if I, or maybe I was talking to you because you were a pub, were you a publicist at Caroline at the time? I wasn't a publicist, but I, 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 I was doing marketing for the label and some other things. I have a feeling, you know what? I have a feeling maybe, maybe it was with a band out there. Like maybe we were wanting to do something with a band and. Well, I, I'm trying to remember who the person was though, who was like, Hey, would you want to write about, and I think it was Voodoo Glow Skulls. Would you want to write about Voodoo Glow Skulls for Swill magazine? And I said, sure. And then I drove out to Rancho Cucamonga where a publicist actually. So maybe it was uh maybe it was Voodoo Glow Skulls publicist. I'm sure this is fa- this is fascinating yeah, for us to like put the put the pieces well, together. But anyway, I drove out to Ranch right. Cucamonga to because at that time you couldn't email someone an MP3. I drove out to Rancho Cucamonga, I think, to pick up it was Voodoo Glow Skulls, right? Yeah. To yeah. pick up a Voodoo Glow Skulls CD. And then I in- interviewed them, wrote the story for Swill. And then I also wrote about Farside, right? Okay. With yep. an F. Yep. For that Swill. makes sense. Yep. And then you and I must have been, in- we were in contact with each other. And then you came out to, because your family used to vacation, vacation on Babao Island, which right. at that point, I was probably home for the summer. Right. Um, we hung out. We, you're friends with the guys in this band, Just Plain Big, which right. includes Mickey Janison, who I'm right. still like, I haven't seen him in many, many years, but, and he just for, for people to put it all together, he is friends with Anderson Cowan, who does a podcast with, uh, Bald Brian, who from the Adam Carolla show. So this is a small world for some people listening. Yeah. Um, and that's how I met them. Uh, and then, yeah, you and I stayed in touch. And then I remember I came to New York. And you and I got a drink at some Lower East Side bar. And I was like very fresh to New York. And I remember you saying like, you know, it doesn't have to be Rolling Stone that you work at. And I remember thinking, no, but it does. (laughs) 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 You don't understand. It does. Um, Yeah. So that that's how we met. I also. There was a band called Peach that I loved who were on Caroline. Did you work with them? I'm sure I did. I remember them now. It's like you're you're bringing all this up, and I didn't remember it was Voodoo Glow Skulls and Far Side they worked on, but now I do. I I I hadn't thought about Peach probably since I left Caroline Records. I feel like a lot of people haven't. Up, <laughs> but now that you bring it up, I totally remember that band. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I am trying to remember though how you and I initially were put together. Again, I'm was, thinking maybe it was Voodoo Glow Skulls publicist. Maybe his name was Mike, because everyone's yeah. name was Mike. Don't know. It's so funny. Who knows? Who cares? The fact is now here we are decades right. later. Yes. Chatting and it's just awesome. And I've, I've had such a blast like watching your career and everything you've been doing and, and your family growing. It's just, it's fun. Aww, you know, it's fun you. when you have these people in your lives. And Alice and I, you know, we may not talk for months or years, but like we keep tabs on each other mm-hmm. and it's just an absolute blast. So here's something I remember. Um, I, I was a like, such a fan of Sassy and then also Jane. Uh, 
In fact, I went on to work briefly at Page Six magazine and Shelley Ridenour was there. Do you know her? Via because your your wife, Christina Kelly, like I said, iconic, sassy writer. Right. Yeah. Um, and Shelley was from Jane. But so anyway, I remember walking around Baboa Island with you and you I maybe I, somehow we were talking about sassy writers because I was such a like fangirl of that, and you were like so and so, she's odd, but Christina Kelly's really cool. <laughs> I don't, and we, the, I don't think you were dating her yet. We, we weren't. Christina and I knew each other. A friend of mine from Washington D.C. Uh, named Amy Demas ended up working at Sassy uh, in the art and design department, and she moved to New York, and and so she sort of introduced Christina and. And me together. And we um we just kind of knew each other for, I don't know, two years or so before we started, before the magic happened. Uh, <laughs> and then started dating and um, then got married and have been married now for over 20 years. And I dragged her out of the city, which I thought was impossible, out here to the <laughs> burbs of New Jersey, which is crazy. I've domesticated her. Uh, and... Um, and it's it's been great. But listen, I was as big of a fan of Sassy as you were. In fact, a friend of mine from D.C., another connection that Christine and I had, but not at the time, is that a, a guy I knew in D.C. was this named the Sassiest Boy in America. And they did the Sassiest Boy in America <laughs> oh, wow. contest, and he he won it, which was really fun. Um, this guy, Ian, from this band, The Nation of Ulysses, that some people may oh, yeah. know. Uh, and so there was this sort of weird D.C. sassy sort of connection through the cute band alerts and things they used to do and things like that. So it's fun. So y- you grew up in D. Were you kind of in the DC hardcore scene? So yes, yes, and no. I mean, like I was too young to be there when like Minor Threat and started playing and the, that 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 nature. But like, I was definitely there in sort of the mid to late eighties. Like I remember seeing Fugazi when they were basically still a three piece, like playing at DC Space at tiny little clubs um, and things of that nature. So I definitely my social scene was definitely tied into the DC music scene. I was mm-hmm. very into music, which is how I ended up at Caroline Records later. I literally opened. I was interning at Rolling Stone and I didn't like it. And then I just literally opened the yellow pages or white pages or whatever we used back in those days. <laughs> and Caroline Records had these bands like Bad Brains, Naked Ray Gun. Uh, they put out some Misfits stuff, you know. And so I just literally called them out of the blue. And uh, then I interned there for two years while I was at college at Sarah Lawrence. And then I worked there for four years out of college. So it was the best uh, best cold call I ever made. I made some cold calls too. That's what it. That's what it was like. Back you were a hustler, then. yeah. No, Allison, you were a hustler. Same as <laughs> I was. That's what you got to do when you're starting yeah. out, right? The totally funny thing is, that. so I was a stringer for Random Notes with Rolling at Rolling Stone, and I remember I came to New York and I was talking to Anthony Boza, who ran the section at that time, and he was saying to me, "You're you seem kind of different than other people who work at Rolling Stone because you're eager," and I that like I don't know any person in their just starting out in their early 20s who wants to hear that to me that was like you're desperate you're thirsty you're uncool like I just wanted to die and now that I'm on the other side of things where I'm in a position where I'm you know working with people who are uh where I'm like hiring people or you know in the boss position I realize there's nothing better than someone who's eager to work with you that's great I would so much rather work with someone who's like into it Totally. A hundred percent. You got it. You, you have to prove that you, you are dependable, that you're going to go the extra mile, all that stuff when you're, you know, in your twenties, 
uh, and you're trying to prove yourself and, and you're in New York and you're trying to set yourself apart from all the other people that are eager and wanting that, that work, that's 100% what you have to do. Right. So tell me why you did not like interning at Rolling Stone. Well, I was, you know, it's really funny. Um, so I had really long black hair at the time. I had jet black hair with like red streaks in it or something. And um, I went in and the only position they had, because I was in college, was an intern in the marketing position. So it wasn't even editorial. Got it. And it was really, it was really buttoned up. Like, I mean, I remember like, like basically they were asking me about my hair and they were like, well, mm. you're going to keep your hair that way. I'm like, are you serious? This is Rolling <laughs> Stone. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I was doing a lot of like corporate tie-in like stuff for them. And it just, you know, I was 20 years old at the time and in college and still like, you know, holding on to this glorified ideal of what music would be. And mm-hmm. like, I just, I was in that office. I wasn't doing it. Right. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I get it now and I, and I've certainly, I've worked in enough departments, enough people to respect every, all that work people do, but it wasn't what I wanted to do then. Mm -hmm. I I knew that for sure. So, So, yeah. So you started Swill, which was your zine. What, uh, what inspired you to start a zine? Do we need to explain what zines are? (laughs) Oh my God. It's so (laughs) funny. Like we probably do, but like, you know, it's like you're in, involved in music, you're involved in the scene, you asked about being in the DC scene. It's like, I was really, really passionate about music. And I really, like, I was in bands, but the bands weren't very good. Uh, I couldn't sing very well. I couldn't play instruments very well. I did it, but I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere or do anything. So you just want to be involved in other ways. And I loved writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's something I discovered my junior year of high school. And I took an expository writing class and I fell in love with it. And not to get into like parenting cliches, but the one thing I always tell my kids, the only advice I try and give them, because my kids are a lot older than yours, um, is do what you love. Like you have to have a passion for whatever you get into. So my passions were writing and music. So why not combine those two things, which Mm -hmm. is, which is what I did. Um, and, uh, did Swill, did a few other sort of zines on the side as well, and and uh, had an absolute blast doing it. People were sending me free records, Allison. I literally <laughs> every day was opening stacks of free records. And it's funny because I started this goofy little sub Instagram account where I'm just posting some of my old 7-inch records. And um, as I take them out or as I take them out and listen to my vinyl, I've been interacting a lot with my vinyl lately. I find all these notes written from the labels. You know, it's not just the record, but it's like, hey, this is – you know, so-and-so from so-and-so record label. Hey, if you could, you know, review this, that'd be awesome. Or, hey, I loved your last issue, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so cool to go back and read that stuff like 30 years later. So it was just, you know, being involved and probably honestly just getting free records. <laughs> you know, is the music industry like that still? And I, I don't even no know. Idea. Yeah. No, it's I don't It's funny either. because, you know, I, the funny thing about it is coming from the world of music and then getting into writing, how little music writing I've done over the past mm-hmm. 20 years. I mean, hardly any. I did – I remember I went record shopping with Robert Plant once and did something on him. And there's a few things here and there, but it's really like – it's sort of just – you know, you hit a new beat and you take over that beat. And my mm-hmm. beat for the most part – I've been done some movie stuff here and there, but – for the most part, has been TV related. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you graduate college, work at Caroline, and then realize you want to do writing. 
And then where did you go from there? Was that when you were at the basketball magazine? So yeah, it's a weird. Uh, I love sports too. Um, I guess I guess I just love everything, Allison. You yeah, name it, no, I love you it. You are uh, an it's enthusiast. Love in. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's I, I I really love being at Caroline. But you know, I was going out every night to shows, and I got to the point where I guess I was about twenty six, and staying out till one in the morning every night and at then was very smoky mm-hmm. clubs and bars just sort of lost its appeal. Right. And I want to go to writing full time. So I ended up hooking up at this, uh, basketball magazine that, uh, some, so I don't know if, if you ever were aware of this TV show called NBA inside stuff. It was basically Ooh. a basketball show for teenagers hosted by like Ahmad Rashad. It was like super yes. cheesy. I don't, th- I don't know if I've seen it, but I've definitely heard of this. Yeah. So there was like a basically Time Inc. A uh, big publisher at the time doesn't exist now. Uh, did a basketball, a magazine version of NBA Inside Stuff, mm-hmm. and so I basically I, I made this big career change. I was doing you know pretty well uh, in the music business in terms of you know uh, high up on the food chain. It, granted, it was a small indie label, but I made a big career change. Started right at way at the bottom because all I, all the clips I had, Allison, were like zine clips. Like that doesn't mean anything to Time Inc. Right. Here's some clips from my music zine and I, I'm <laughs> a basketball magazine and talk about like Chris Weber and Joan Howard. So I had to start all the way at the bottom. Which is what, like an editorial assistant? Basically, yeah. Like I was fact checking and just mm-hmm. like doing all that stuff. And I was like, all right, I made this big change. It's kind of a big risk, but we're going to see how it goes. Uh, eight months later, the magazine folded. And I'm like, oh my God. What have I done? Yeah. Uh, and now I'm just nowhere. Well, luckily, I uh, through some people that were actually through some people, some old sassy people that had worked with my wife, uh, Christina, were at Entertainment Weekly at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they got me into like a freelance gig there for a few months, right? Just a few months, like freelancing, doing this and that. But it got my foot in the door. Then about nine months later... Uh, a position, a writing position opened up uh, for this column called What to Watch, which at the time was like a listings, a very mm-hmm. straight, just kind of listings column. So I, uh, they said, write us a, a, you know, a mock one, what you would do with it, and um, we'll see. So I just went crazy on it. Like it was insane. Like it was just turned <laughs> into like a humor column. I showed it to my wife, who I respect more than anyone in the industry. And she said, do not send them this. Mm. Uh, this, this do not send them this. And I said, well, I really only want to do the job if this is it. Like, you know, if Ooh, I'm just going to... Now, those regu- are some punk rock ethics yeah, right there. you know what I mean? But it's true. Like, <laughs> if I was just write regular listings, I was like, ah. So I was like, this is the way I want to do it. So it was a risk. And it's what we talked about earlier. You got to stand out from the pack, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is either going to go really well or really not well. Uh, but I sent it in. They loved it. And I, I've been there ever since. Uh, oh, that's over so 20 great. years. Yeah. Do you bring that up with your wife, how she was wrong? <laughs> Told you so. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I also, I mean, like I said, she's just such a better writer only because it's widely acknowledged that she's such a better writer and editor <laughs> than I am. I still get people that come up to me and just want to talk about her and how inspirational she was um, as a, you know, just inspiring teenage uh, girls at yes. a time when magazines were giving them maybe not the best messages in terms of like self-worth and and body positivity and and uh, things like that. And so, you know, she at at, at her uh, she left and then later ran other teen girl magazines like YM and L Girl. And she instituted no dieting articles. Uh, mm-hmm. She refused to publish any dieting articles. 
uh, and other things of that nature, which just, you know, that that's going to beat out me writing a Temptation Island recap any day of the week. You know? <laughs> so. um, okay, so you, what was your first title at, at EW? My titles have all been awful. I don't know what any of them mean. Like, they're, they're <laughs> terrible. I guess if I was a staff writer, fine. You know what that means. I was a senior writer. Okay, that that makes sense. Um, then I've had titles like assistant managing editor. Now, Allison, mm. what is that? Is assistant managing editor? Am I an assistant? Am I a manager? Am I an editor? I have no idea what that means. Uh, editor at timeout at, at timeout New York. That just meant you helped onboard new hires and you carried galleys around and right. passed them around to the editors. Right. Yeah. It, who knows? It means a different right. thing everywhere. At, at EW, it actually meant you're basically kind of like there was the – because the editor-in-chief at Time Inc. was not even called an editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. It was managing editor. Okay. Oh, interesting. And so uh, assistant managing editor means you were right like below that, I guess. I don't right. know. Then I was editor at large because I was kind of doing the radio thing and then executive mm-hmm. editor at large. I don't know what that means. I mean, basically, editor at large kind of means usually is like this person kind of job is nebulous and they do their own thing and they kind of can't be easily right. put into a specific, which I guess describes me. I do some writing. I do some editing. Uh, I was doing the radio for eight years. So I do lots of video stuff. So I'm just kind of got my hands in a lot of different cookie jars. How did you feel about doing the radio for for the years? And also you kind of breeze past the bummer that it was when it <laughs> when it uh went away. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I d- I used to do a lot of talking head media stuff, mm-hmm. which I know you've done a fair amount of as well. And like I used to do the morning shows a lot. So the Today Show, GMA, and especially the CBS one which back then was called the Early Show, I think. Mm-hmm. And I I so I had the experience, but I really got tired of that after a while. I'm like, w- no pun intended. Like, why am I getting up at five in the morning? And then I, because I'm in Jersey, I, the car's got to get me super early in case mm-hmm. there's tunnel traffic to do like a three-minute hit on morning. Like, I, I lost interest in it. But anyway, because I had that experience, when we launched up the channel, they asked me to do the morning show. And I said, well, I'll do it, but then I, I'm not going to edit anymore. Because editing at that time, too, we'd be up really late night. Mm. And I'm not going to be up late night, then get up at... 5 a.m. to do early morning radio. Right. So I gave up the editing, kept writing, and the radio was a blast, man. It was fun. I mean, you know what it's like. You do it on your podcast all the time. You've been doing it for years. You're a lot more experienced than I am. But we were live uh, two hours every day. So we had people calling in. We grew up the same way you have on your pod. We grew up a family of listeners, mm-hmm. and they became a thing, and they're interacting with each other and creating this like weird sub-community. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. So are you bummed? Yeah, I'm bummed. I'm bummed. Uh, made no bones about it. I love doing it. It was great. Uh, I feel lucky that I got to do it for eight years on SiriusXM, which is kind of an eternity. And I'm not. I'm actually surprised because it had to be renewed every few years, like mm-hmm. every two, three years. And the latest et- uh, iteration it was like every year it had to be renewed. And I knew at some point that they just weren't going to see eye to eye on. It's a weird financial arrangement. And it was mm-hmm. a partnership, and I knew at some point the partnership was going to you know, cease to be. So it's a, it's a, it's a bummer, but I love doing it. Did you have any say in it or was it like these, like mom and dad are going to make an arrangement? Yeah. No, I had no say in it whatsoever. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was too bad. Uh, I, I had a blast. I think we, we, 
we able to build build something up that people really love to do, and so that's never fun to walk away from that. But I'm still lucky that I still, you know, I still love to write, I still love to edit, so I'm still doing what I love. But I've just it's just like this piece is missing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like like I still have a lot of love in my heart for my job, but there is a piece that was sort of ripped out, right? Uh, that you just have to deal with. Have you thought about maybe launching another similar show somewhere? Well, you know, EW does a lot of podcasts. We've spoken about that. Uh, it has to be something that um, we all believe in, meaning something that I want to do, something that I feel uh, is a good mac- would maximize my time because time is the most precious commodity, a- and something that I feel would be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's something I can fit in with everything else I do. So yes, we've talked about it. I'm sure something will will come up. We just haven't hit on exactly the right thing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about something uh, real fast, but then I want to get in, I want to uh, get back into some of the stuff we were talking about before and let's uh, delve into early 2000s reality shows. Oh, um, but first, then you talk about Bombas. They make the most comfortable socks. These are socks that hug your feet and they also do good in the world. Bombas' mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone uh, who's in need. And Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Bombas socks made me angry at all my other socks for not having the stitching around the arch that is like, like I said, it's like a, it hugs your foot. Um, the just every, every detail of a sock. And also the other garments that they make, they've thought about and they have perfected. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which which makes them the perfect cozy winter layers. Go to bombas.com slash best friend to get 20% off any purchase. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash best friend for 20% off bombas.com slash best friend. I'm okay. wearing them now. I'm wearing them Are now. Are you really? I am. I'm wearing them now. And you know what? I started to realize I think I need some some new ones. I'm not even making this up. I'm going to use your discount code. Use my code. Bombas.com slash best friend. your code. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. I love them. I've loved them ever since I watched them on Shark Tank like 10 million years ago. Speaking of early 2000s yeah. reality TV. How's that for a segue? That's nice. Um, you know what? What's the op? There should be like a segue gets you into something. That should be like an outgway. Right. Because yeah. I segued us in and then you out. I mean, I know it's also segue, but right. I feel like it's, you outgued us too. Yeah, so totally. anyway, early 2000s reality television, you said that you were that you said you were super into that, right? Yeah, I'm into it. Well, you know, I started EW right. <laughs> but somebody would say either the right or the wrong time because <laughs> I started right at the very end of 1999, Thanksgiving 99. And reality TV uh, took off about six months later. When Survivor started, okay, um, right May thirty first, two thousand. So it was right after I started EW, and I I loved it. And you know, I, I would argue that the debut of Survivor was the biggest game changer in the terms of the television landscape in TV history of the past. I don't know, forty years, fifty years, maybe. I mean, think wow. about. Think about TV pre-Survivor and post-Survivor. And you could go and say, well, 
there was the real world. Right. So I was sitting here trying to remember what I was watching. I was very into real world. And in fact, I have a listener who is like, why are you not watching the real world reunions on Paramount Plus? I need to get into those because maybe I would enjoy them. So real world road rules, um, Project Greenlight, uh, Joe Millionaire. Yep. Joe Schmo. I can't remember what else. Oh, I love Joe Schmo. Yeah. So, so. Road rules and real world were pre-survivor. The difference is, is that those were not, uh, first off, they weren't on a broadcast like mm-hmm. CBS, but they, secondly, they weren't competition shows. Right. They're more similar to like, you know, your real housewives or, or any of these shows, duck dynasty that just sort of follow people around. Yeah. Or do these things. They weren't voting people off. They weren't playing for a prize. Right. There wasn't that elimination aspect. Right. People weren't being, uh, having their torch snuffed or, <laughs> you know, saying you're in or you're out or, you know, whatever. So this was the first real broadcast reality competition uh, show, and um, I just found it fascinating. I love competition. Like I said, I love sports. I love adventure. I love tropical stuff. I love the beach. I don't know why I've lived my whole life on the East Coast. I hate the cold. <laughs> I wear like I wear like 30 layers in my house when it's like 70 degrees. I hate it. So it just had everything for me. And like I said, I was fascinated by the psychology of it. I was fascinated by the characters of it. I was fascinated by the way the show was put together. And, um, you know, that's what I've been writing about for the past 20 years, for better or for worse. So was it like we need someone to cover Survivor? And like, how did it happen that you became that guy? Not too dissimilar from the way I bided my time to get on your freaking podcast <laughs> after a thousand episodes, Allison. <laughs> uh, you know, because when I started, Survivor started and it was huge. The finale, the season one of finale, summer of 2000, had something like 54 million people watched it. Think about that for a second. 54 million people. It's crazy. A fuckload of people. Yeah, it's crazy. So I was new at the magazine, so they weren't just going to hand that over to me. I, I wrote about it in my little listings column and did a little, little box here, but there was there were there were bigger fish at the magazine that were sort of handling that. And I would take the scraps. But then as it started getting to like season three or four, and it wasn't necessarily the national obsession anymore. We had just kind of started doing like recaps, uh, which were a huge thing, which I still do, but were a really huge thing about a decade ago or so. But anyway, we just started doing them and they said, do you want to recap this show? And I said, yeah, I'll totally do that. And so I started recapping it in like season three or four. um, And that's probably about 2002, 2003. And uh, I've been doing it uh, ever, ever since. Uh, And and so it was just sort of a – I didn't think that the show would be on for 20 years. They didn't think the show would be on for 20 mm-hmm. years. But it's been – I've loved doing it. Uh, I've been able to go out on location uh, like 17 times to places that I didn't even know existed. Like I wasn't a geography major. I had never heard of the Cook Islands. I couldn't have told you where Palau was on a map <laughs> uh, or Gabon or any of these places. And so, you know, I sit I sit at my desk all day working. So – you know, and, and the honest truth, and we could talk more about this if we want, going what going on set is like for a mm-hmm. TV or movie. Um, but I'm really generally not a fan of that. I find it super tedious. Not a fan of sitting boring. at your desk or going on set? Either. No, going on set. <laughs> no, but I thought you're the guy who loves everything. I, I do. Well, now we're going to get into the flip side. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, going on set, there, there are exceptions, but going on set to a normal show or movie is I'm super impatient. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, when you watch a, a scene uh, in a TV or a movie, right? And the scene is two minutes long and it's some people talking or doing whatever. Uh, 
that scene takes half a day to film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's filmed, as you know, Allison. Okay, now we're gonna we're first we're gonna do the close up one way. Now we have to turn all the equipment around. Now we're gonna do the close up the other way. Now we need a medium shot. Now we need a wide shot. It takes forever, and they. It's film why like I a- like doing live TV. I realized that's what I really like. Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Because this is it's. It's uh, it takes it's like a hundred takes of the same scene over and over and over. It's super repetitive, and I'm super impatient. But when I go and set to Survivor, that doesn't happen. It's all mm-hmm. live, baby. Like they're just running constantly, and you're, you know, it's kind of exciting being out in the elements. You might be in literally a tropical storm. I mean, out in it, and you're just in it. Like there's no like you're not in a hotel. You're in the storm, mm-hmm. uh, and. And there's that sense of adventure that I just love. And and uh, so I just fell in love with going out there and, and uh, being a part of it. So what is it – like what does a reality show set look like? Like are there director's chairs that people are sitting in or, the, you know? Yeah. What does so it look it's, like? It's, it's a, it's, so it depends on what reality show you're talking about. Like I went – you remember The Surreal Life? Yes. Who was on that? Like a billion like D-list celebrities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to season one. I went in that house and it was uh, it was Corey Feldman, Emmanuel Lewis, <laughs> Hammer, uh, Vince Neal, uh, Gabrielle Carteris from 90210. Who's now the president of SAG. Correct. And then a, a bunch of people that I've, I've tried to forget. Um, so. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. She's not anymore. She, she was. was. She I think was. it's Fran Drescher now, maybe. Is it? I think I so. So I. Uh, that's a little bit different, and that is sort of what you'd expect. It's a few cameras following people around, you know, and, and staying out of each other's shots and what have you. Survivor is that when they're on the beaches. If you've ever watched the episode and they're at their beach and they're trying to make fire, there's be two or three camera crews that'll follow them around, and I'll, I'll I can go there as long as I'm out of the shot. Mm-hmm. But then when they get to like. A challenge, if you've seen, when they arrive at a challenge together, there is just a wall of cameras mm-hmm. there filming them. And each one's assigned to someone different. So like, all right, you're assigned to, to capture this contestant. You're get, capturing this person. You've got the wide shot. Uh, you're going to control this close up as they go by. You know, so it's, it's like 20, 30 cameras all capturing something else at the exact same time. Because mm-hmm. again, they're only shooting at once. There's no reversing angles. Uh, they've got now they've got drones up there, right? Now they got cranes. They're all just got to capture it live, which is why what they'll do is they'll do rehearsals. So when you see a challenge, they'll do several rehearsals of that challenge. And what they're doing is they're checking the challenge to make sure, okay, does this work right? Does this puzzle does this puzzle take too long? Is it too easy? Uh, this a frame we've built and someone's climbing up. Uh, how's that working? Uh, but they're also testing all their camera angles who, I've actually, who are the con, who are pretending to be the contestants when they're testing it so that's fun so i when i go out me oh uh, wow i ba- back in survivor all-stars i asked Mer- mark burnett let me try to challenge so i do that now every time i go out but they have a group of, of people that's called the dream team and they're basically people whose job is to test out challenges and how cool is that that they basically just go, get to go out to fiji yeah. Uh, and then just basically run challenges, act as stand-ins, uh, maybe fetch a cases of beer, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it used to be anyone 18 and up could do it. 
But then I think they had some instances of maybe some not very professional behavior going on mm. uh, in foreign countries. So now you got to be 21. Sorry, uh, people. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that they do that. And that's their job, which I think is, is super awesome. And what's also cool, Allison, is a lot of those people, if they want, stay on the crew and basically get promoted and get promoted. And they end up in pretty significant positions. That is cool. Now, have you been on the sets of reality shows like Real Housewives or anything like that? The ones that, and I don't know, but like the suspicion would be that they're a little more scripted or maybe they're doing art. Let me actually just make that a question. As far as you know, are there reality shows where they are doing a scene a few times? Totally. I'm uh, without a doubt. Uh, I don't go on those shows. I'm not really a fan as much of those shows. Mm -hmm. I did on the surreal life because the surreal life was basically that it was, you know, a bunch of people living, be list celebrities living in a house together. But that stuff is, I mean, what they'll do is I remember, I think it was the Hills that got Mm -hmm. caught for this where they basically filmed dropping off at the airport and picking up in the same day. Someone like looked at the evidence is like, oh, oh. this wasn't filmed a week later. This is filmed at the same I'm, I'm day. I'm immediately Googling this when to- we're done. Yeah, they, <laughs> they got caught on that. It's been ca- Some other people have been caught for stuff like that. That stuff is definitely all scripted in the sense that everything's planned, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when they say on, a, on one of those shows, like, oh, I thought I'd get lunch with so-and-so today. Right. right. It's like the producers have been, oh, I thought it'd be fun for the family. You know, uh, maybe it's that, you know, the Gene Simmons when he had his show, like, uh, we thought it'd be fun for the family to go to paintball today. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like Gene Simmons decided to do paintball out of the blue. <laughs> right. It's a producer saying, we want to do this and we're going to create this drama mm-hmm. in this way or that way. And the people that are on the show know that. So it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's not like necessarily their lines are written for them, but it's almost kind of like it's storyboarded, right? Right. Like it's, yeah. So I was hired um, to write us to interview. Do you remember the Gastineau girls? Mm. I was hired. Yeah, to Mark inter- Gastineau's kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lisa was his wife, though, right? It was like the ex-wife and the daughter. I okay. say Lisa and Brittany, I think. Um, and I was hired to do a Q&A with them. And in the press kit of the – and they were in the midst of filming the show. And in the press kit of it, it was like, here's what happens in every episode. And there was some, you know, romantic arc. And like in – I'm making this up, but it was something like in episode 10, he presents a ring. And that really made me realize, oh, wow, this is – they already know the arc of the whole season of this reality show. So that robbed me of some innocence. I don't know if they're all done like that, but I'm often suspicious. I think a lot of them are. I think it does depend on the uh, the production company. and But like at the very least, like whenever you watch one of those shows and like let's say it's about, okay, here's a reality show about like uh, a thrift shop. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the like nine out of ten times, like the people that work there have literally been cast for the show to work right. there. I, I know someone who was cast to be – I can't remember it was for like Jersey Licious or Jersey Couture or one of those terrible like Jersey Shore ripoff shows uh-huh. where he basically auditioned to be like the the you know the the store manager right and didn't audition as a store manager with any experience in that he auditioned as a really good looking um, sort of gay best friend type mm-hmm. for the other people on the show um, so that definitely happens all the right. time and I think you're right that a lot of the you know, cheesier ones, it's all just laid out exactly the entire arc of the show. 
What do you think of like Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, all those? I I used to watch them. Um, I don't anymore. It's it's more of sort of a time thing. Um, it's just not quite trashy enough for me, Allison. Like I'd rather go Temptation Island, which I'm like obsessed with Temptation Island. If none of you have watched Temptation Island, just what are you doing with your lives? I need to go watch do that it. immediately. Oh my god! You know it was amazing back in the day, but then they brought it back on USA Network like a few years ago, and. Yeah, I, I thought it would pale in comparison. It was even better. It was crazy. They've done three seasons on USA. The third one wasn't that good. But the first two is just trash TV goldmine. Just okay. absolutely. Is that where I should start with the first yes, two USA yes, seasons? Yes, yes, <laughs> Would oh my you God. believe, I, on my, and no one can believe this. It might be my most interesting fact, which is sad. Uh, I've never really watched Amazing Race. Amazing Race is a great show, and it's been on a long time. It just started its thirty third season wow. uh, the other well uh, the other night, and uh, that was the season. Interestingly, that got shut down because of COVID. They were mm-hmm. in, I think, Glasgow, and they all of a sudden had to stop filming and wait nineteen months and start up again, which is fascinating. But that's a the way they do that on the fly is just amazing. There's a reason why it won like 10 Emmys in a row. I mean, it's, it's the production values are just crazy. I, it, the one thing about amazing race, that's always tough for me is I really stress the two things that stress me out most in life are, well, that's not true. There's three things that, te- that's true. the, the other thing is, is, um, having to pee when I start watching a movie. I, I, yeah. it's a whole thing. I, I, I won't drink fluids for an hour before, before the movie starts. So if I'm seeing a, a seven thirty movie, I stop drinking at six thirty. <laughs> I then pee like a million times. I wait for like six twenty nine while I'm sitting in my seat. I get up and pee and then I sit down. <laughs> Cause I don't want to have to think during the movie. Wait, do I need to pee? Like yes. I can't tell. So that stresses me out the most. The other two things that stress me out are being late and being lost. Mm. And the amazing race is all people that are late and lost. Yeah. So luckily they're the ones that are late and lost. So I can just laugh at them, but I would never be able to do that show. I'd be terrible at it. Uh, I have a terrible sense of direction. Always lost. GPS ways has changed my life. I don't know how I got anywhere before. Actually, I do know how I got places. I would call my mom who's very good with directions and I would tell her where I need to go. And then she would look it up in the Thomas guide. And then she would like write out directions for me. Uh, I don't know how I, I, but I sort of remember using this mom service when I was in college. So she must've just told me over the phone and then I wrote it out. But, uh, if, if producers, by the way, if amazing race casting, uh, producers were listening to this, they would now cast us on the show. Like, Oh, he hates being late and lost. She doesn't know where to go. Drama. Yeah. Full gold. Put them Let's on the do show. It. I feel no, like I need never, a career refresh never in a million years. <laughs> I, I, you'll kill me. You'll kill me before the end of the first leg. But that's where the good stuff is. <laughs> Has GPS changed your life or like uh, oh. in terms of getting lost? It's funny because I mean, I'm pretty good with navigation, but I think about that constantly now when I literally just punch in an address, think about like, God, remember the days? Because this is how old we are when we like would have to call people and be like, well, how do you get? You're like, well, now you're going to pass the Exxon on the right, right but look for the Texaco over there. You're going like, to feel like you should turn right, but don't keep going. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And then remember the MapQuest days? Yes. That, you you're, know what? That, there, I had forgotten. There was a long period of MapQuest days. Well, I went through this recently because we went to Greece a few years ago and I got really nervous about 
what if my phone, I was renting a car in Greece and that was a whole other bundle of nerves, <laughs> but what if I'm like out of range? Like what if like, you know, my, my phone's not working and I get lost in the middle of nowhere, Greece. So we're going to some kind of out of the way places. So I basically, Allison printed out like 300 pages of like map quest directions, <laughs> from like random places in Greece. It was like a, I have a briefcase full of like, is absurd. This isn't like. 2019 like what's yeah. wrong with me i had a moment i was going to be a guest on jordan jesse go which my listeners will know which podcast that is so that records in macarthur park um not the best area and i, f- I forget how far away it was maybe like a 25 minute drive from where i used to live and i was on my way and i realized my phone was going to die and i guess i didn't have a charger in my car and i thought oh and i was so this would have been a compelling moment on The Amazing Race because I'm like, my phone's going to die. I'm not going to be able to get where I'm going. I'm not going to be able to get home. And I'm also not going to be able to call my husband because at this point I had not memorized, even though we were married already, I still hadn't memorized his phone number because it was just in my phone. And I also- I don't know my kid's numbers. I don't know. I have don't. no idea what my kid's phone number. They've had them for 10 years. I have no idea what their phone number I finally <laughs> made Daniel and me- uh it made us memorize each other's phone numbers. My kids don't have numbers yet, but yeah, I think you got to make yourself memorize them because I, I do. I'm a terrible parent. Although at this point, there's some device you can look it up on. But yeah, I was like, yeah. I am. What am I going to do? How am I going to have to talk to? A st- I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. It, it, my phone made it, but it was very, very harrowing. Dude, when Pre- Skynet when Skynet takes over and we're all like destroyed, I mean the machines are going to rule the planet yeah. one day. I don't know if it's like T two or the Matrix, but we're all going <laughs> to be pulverized. <laughs> so you now have an empty nest situation going on, right? Yeah, it's. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, you know, it's you think there's this whole like, oh my god, we're gonna be so free to do what we want to do when we get the kids out of the house, and like we made it, high five, like you know, <laughs> like they're alive, and but you know, well, I guess we became empty nesters in a pandemic. My my son's a senior in college, and my daughter's now freshman. Oh, wow. And uh, you know, what are we gonna go do? There's nothing to go do. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> and then like it's like I just like I've never got hung up on age really ever. Like when I turned like. I had a kid in my twenties. Um, so it's like my life was over then, you know, in terms of any sort of like being some like hot tamale or young buck or social, you know, butterfly. So I stopped going out in my twenties, but like, so I turned 30, I no big deal. When I turned 40, yeah, you know, no big deal at all. Didn't really bat an eyelash 50, which I turned the last year. That was a little rougher, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like having the kids older is what freaks me out a little bit. Like I really hated it when my son turned 20 because at least when he was 19, I could be like, oh, yeah, I got two teenagers. And people would think they were like 13 and 14, which is like uh-huh. really like 18 and 20. It's like, ah, oh, or 18 and 19. I was like, ah, oh, they're teenagers. And he's now 21. He's like a full adult. Yeah. He's like a dude that's like going – he can like order a beer. I mean like it's super weird. I went out to a restaurant with him the other day and it's like, dude, because like ordering a cocktail, like that just seems wrong. And then my daughter just turned 19 uh, the other day. So she's about to turn like 20 in a year. That's weird. That's that's what freaks me out is them being old. Not mm-hmm. me being old, but them being old. Because it means you're old? Yes, because it means I'm ancient. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 we were watching like, so we watched that new Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you went to see it. Mm-mm. But like, you know, spoiler alert. Although I'm not really spoiling anything. It's not in the trailer. So no, I'm not spoiling the end of it. But like, you know, it's like old characters from the movies come back to the new Spider-Man movies. You see that in the trailer. You see Doc Ock there, whatever. Okay. 
So now we want to go back, like a lot of people were going back and watching the old Spider-Man movies, right? And so keep in mind, this is Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, right? Like, so Tobey Maguire, the movie takes place, he's basically graduating high school. It starts, he's in high school, and then he just gets out. So he's 18, right? And he's living with uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May, right? So this is his uncle and aunt, right? They're like 80 years old, right? Like they're just his uncle and aunt and they look like so old. And I'm like, and this is of an 18 year old and I've got a 21 year old. (laughs) Right. Is that what I look like? (laughs) It's like really scary. Yeah, I know. I, uh, when it started happening for me, because I, I don't know, I don't know if having children aged me or if somehow my brain did something Regarding like from the time I got pregnant to the time my kid was one, it's like in my head I held still or something like time has marched on. But in my mind, I haven't experienced it in the same way or something so that I just know that one day and this is a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm really looking older. And I said, I mentioned this to my therapist and she said, is that a bad thing? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Do you understand how therapy works? (laughs) (laughs) But she is was trying to get me to change my thinking about it. But it's hard. It's hard because age means a whole lot of things. Not only are you no longer a hot tamale, you're also closer to death. I mean, it's an array of things that aren't great. Yeah, well, there's a reason why you still shoot this on video because you look amazing, Uh, and and uh, I would not be shooting on video if I had my (laughs) my choice in the matter. But like, no, I think you're right. It is weird to sort of think about, and I you know I don't want to get too maudlin about it because I'm I'm actually not a maudlin guy, but like. It is weird to think like, oh, right. Like I'm pat, like if this is like a, a football game, like I've, I've, I've hit halftime. Like I'm into the, I've I'm, had like, I'm like halfway that. into the third quarter, right? Like I'm like, I got less road in front of me than behind mm-hmm. me. Uh, you know, so that's, that's sort of weird to think about. I have thoughts like that, but then I think, you know, I think, okay, in 20 years, I'll be this age. But where was I 20 years ago? And at this point, where I was 20 years ago, like, that feels like a long time ago for me. Mm-hmm. Does it for you? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, t- yeah, it totally does. Because like I said, 20 years ago, uh, my son was one year old, like I was a new parent. He's now a full adult. Mm-hmm. Like he is an adult. He's about to graduate college in a few months, and go get a job and do his thing. Like, so 20 years to me, people say oh, it happens like that. I guess it does in some sense, but it also feels like a long time. Right. I've heard it described and there was a podcast called this as the longest, shortest time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so regarding the kids leaving, though, do you feel like you have a pretty or moving out at least? Do you feel like you have a pretty like good, healthy attitude about it? Because I sort of almost. And, and granted, it's, you know, my kids are are four and two, almost five and three. But I have this feeling of like, I already resent that this is how it goes down. That like, if you do everything right, they leave. What? Yeah, it's weird. And like, I'll tell you, so I've sort of, I've sort of like, I mean, like, so basically Violet uh, is an athlete. She runs cross country and track, as does my son. So they both uh, run meets uh, for the school. And so basically we became empty nesters in late August, but we're constantly seeing them because oh, we go to nice. their meets. So it's nice, but it's also just kind of this feeling of like, 
putting off the inv- inevitable. It's like having mm-hmm. that root canal that you kind of <laughs> keep pushing like, oh, I, I got a meeting. I got to delay that a week when you really mm-hmm. don't have to delay it. Right. And so I'm kind of in like dipping my toes in the empty nest water. But it's weird. I've been manspreading all over the house. I'm talking now from my son's room, which is so weird. I just, I've been telling you how he's 21. Yet if you look behind me, you see stuffed animals on his bed. That's me putting them on his bed. So I feel like he's, I still have my little baby. Oh. You know? So there's definitely some psychological, like, roller coaster activity happening in my brain right now. But it, it's weird. Um, and, and here's the other thing he's going to graduate. Who knows if he's getting a job, where he's getting a job. He could be living back home with us. So many people are you are excited doing that. by that prospect? I'm excited about it from the hours of like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. <laughs> when he's playing Call of Duty at one in the morning and yelling like, go left, go left, like, you know, do this, do that. Like, not so excited. Like, not <laughs> excited about the overnight hours. Other than that, uh, he's a good kid. So yeah, but it's like, who knows? I think a lot of kids when they graduate do that now for mm-hmm. a year or two and they come home, they save up some money and, and then get out. So uh, talk to me in a year and we'll see how I'm feeling about it, Allison. <laughs> or wait another thousand episodes to invite me back. <laughs> Whatever you want. See if I care. Both your kids go to, I, I don't know how much detail you go into publicly about, no, it's, uh, it's, okay. They both go to really good schools. Um, was that something that you stressed? Uh, so I guess yes and no. I mean, we, they went to public school here in Montclair, New Jersey. Well, I went to private school. Uh, my wife went to public and it's interesting because I went to a, a hoity-toity private school in Washington, D.C. Did and you I, go to Dalton? Did Dalton go to Dalton? Dalton's in New York, so oh, I did not okay. go to Dalton. Um, the, um, although that would have been very meta. <laughs> But I went to this school called St. Albans in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., where like you literally got detention if your shirt was untucked. You had to wear a coat and tie every day. It was crazy. Um, listen, I got a very good education, but I definitely wanted my kids to go to public school. And I, I, you know, I've got family members and cousins. They all go to private. It's fine. Mm-hmm. This is just what I wanted for my kids. Um, so when it got to college, all I wanted them to do, I didn't really care where they went. I just wanted them to have as many options as possible. Mm -hmm. That's all I wanted. I just didn't want them to be like, wow, that's my dream school. I want to go there, but I can't go there. Right. Um, And not that you're guaranteed anywhere. So I just, all I ever said to them was like, give yourself, you know, options so that ultimately you'll be happy where you're going. You're not settling. You're going to a place you're excited about. Um, and, um, you know, we're fortunate that that worked out for both of them. They've both been very happy, uh, in their experiences, at least as happy as you can be when you're quarantined. I feel terrible, especially for my son who, um, you know, he was sent home for the second semester of his sophomore year because of COVID had to do it from home, which can you imagine Mm-mm. like being a sophomore in college and then having to go back and live with your parents and like, and it's just terrible. And then like, mm-hmm. you know, everything was kind of remote last year now. He's he's back there early for sports, but they've already delayed when other kids mm. are coming back, and who knows what the situation to be. It's just terrible. It's just awful. I loved my college experience. I was so happy. Uh, um, I try not to live in the past, but at the same time, I've got incredible memories of, of that time. And so it really pains me that their uh, college experience, and for same thing with high schoolers and, and a lot of different ages, has really been compromised. I mean, my daughter's senior year of high school was completely remote completely yeah. remote. Um, they did get to have a prom at the very end, thank God, but that was uh, really about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, because I, I didn't love high school, but I really did enjoy college. And 
classes were just a sliver of it. In fact, yes. I, w- I wish I had appreciated the classes more. It was really just about the experience. So totally. to not have that sucks. Um, can you talk just a little bit more about wanting your kids to go to public school? I like to hear this because uh, the, the schools in Burbank are good and our intention is sending them to public school. However, I've had these moments of thinking, am I not doing my due diligence by not even looking at private schools? I've decided it's fine. And if it doesn't work out at public schools, then we'll consider it. Because the whole point of moving to Burbank was public schools. But still, all of a sudden, and like, we believe in public education, but all of a sudden, I'm wondering, is this the right way to go? I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I think it's all circumstantial, depending on everyone's circumstances. I think it depends on, uh, I think a lot of it does depend on where you live. You know, there's certain places where I'm sure if we live that my kids maybe would not have gone to public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certain places where they could. We moved to a town uh, in Montclair, New Jersey, where we were excited to get them into the public school system. Um, they were one of the first areas that started uh, magnet schools back in the with the busing in the 70s. So there's actually interesting. It was like six elementary schools, but you don't go to the closest one to you. You know, mm-hmm. it's all sort of you go to all one threat, which we thought was great. Um, and I really wanted them to have sort of a, a make make up with a lot of diversity. And when I say diversity, I don't just mean based on ethnicity and race, but I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about financial. I live in a town which has some really uh, uh, poor areas and some super insane like mansions. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's got it all. Um, and so I wanted them to sort of have that mix of all that, you know. So for our town, it worked for us. But that doesn't mean it works for everyone in every town. So, you know, you have to feel good about the school they're going to be in and you have to feel good about um, the area. And so it just sort of I I don't think it's a one size fits all Mm -hmm. situation, Allison. I really don't. That is a very diplomatic but also wise answer. Dalton, do you have so there's a segment we do on the show called Just Me or Everyone where people write in what things they think or do and they wonder is it just me or everyone? Uh, Lately, I've been soliciting them from my guests. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Well, I'll I'll, I'll bring up something to you because I'm curious your take on it. Where do you ever have something where you think that everyone knows it or does it, and then realize that that is not the case at all? Yes. Um, like where you just think, oh, this is something everyone knows about or does, and then they're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if this is just me because I brought this up back on my radio show and my co-host and producer thought I was uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> um, when I look down at a watch or now a phone or whatever, and I see that it's 1111, I kiss my watch <laughs> or my phone and I make a wish. And it gets really psychotic sometimes because now I've got this stupid running watch that my <laughs> my kids gave me uh, to basically like subtly uh, tell me to exercise more. <laughs> I've got my dumb, stupid phone that I'm tethered to. And then I got my laptop. So now what will happen is I'll glance at one. It'll say 1111. And like an, an idiot, I'll, I'll kiss one of them. And then like a moron, I'll kiss the second one. And then like a complete <laughs> doofus, I'll kiss the third. Th- I'm just kissing everything. I'm like the kissing bandit. I'm like Morgana from like the 1970s running over in Dodger Stadium and kissing the pitcher. It's terrible. So I thought this was something everyone did. So one time I, I it was 11-11 and I, I kissed my watch in front of people. I said, oh, it's 11-11. They go, and I'm like, so what? And what are you doing? And why are you like... French kissing your, your, your wrist. And I say, well, it's 11, 11. And, and 
They had no idea what I was talking about. So have you ever heard this at all? Or is this literally just me? Uh, when you said 11-11, my head said make a wish. So that's my association. Go. But I am not familiar with the kissing. However, <laughs> <laughs> I like this take on it. However, I've seen people driving when they go, is it when they go through a yellow light where they'll they touch, go, some, touch yeah, the kiss, top of the, of the car? Kiss their hand it? and touch the top. But is that okay, going I, through a yellow or what is that doing? That is going th- it, it, there's also something where I remember, which doesn't make sense if you're driving, <laughs> but I still remember when I was a kid where if you crossed railroad tracks, you're supposed to like lift your legs up or something. Oh, that's a fun one. But again, if you're driving, that might not, <laughs> that might not be <laughs> right. wise. Uh, and then what holds your breath in a cemetery, which is always fun if you know you're going to drive. Like when I, I would purposely drive my kids by this one cemetery on like the Garden State Parkway that just goes on forever. And I would just sort of like try and watch them to see like how long they can hold their breath for. And like, is like, my kid going to die? I don't know. It could be worth it because this is kind of funny. You're doing uh, your but, own challenges. Yeah. I bas- basically, yeah. But no, I kiss, I kiss electronics. So when you kiss uh, your it, laptop, like yeah. what part of it are you kissing? Uh, okay. I will say this. For the laptop, I give a, I, oh, I kiss okay. my fingers and then I kiss the, the little time in the upper right-hand corner. Mm. But I fully smooch my phone. And I fully like just a lot of tongue action on my wrist uh, what, watch. What about if you're wearing a mask? I take I would take them off. Is it only? But I don't go out, so I'm not wearing a mask. I have no social life, and I haven't been to my office in two years. So here's a just me or everyone that I have, but I want to get back mm. to kissing your electronics. Yeah, please. I, and I feel like this is probably just me, but I worry that. About like, what if people had goldfish on their desks at work or animals there? And then also, this is insane. But if I have a package that I haven't opened, like there was a, a like I just opened two boxes that have been sitting there for like a month. In the back of my head, I'm like, what if someone shipped me a chick? <laughs> what if, oh, like, right. What yeah. if there's a live animal in here? Which is so rare. I mean, it's it's more than rare. Like I've never ever received a live animal in the mail. So <laughs> I don't know why wait, my head goes there. If you're gonna receive a live animal, what live animal would you like to receive? Puppy. A puppy? Oh See, this is the this is, is the one problem, Allison. I'm a cat guy. Okay. So I don't you're I'm not sure. Maybe that's why you didn't let me on for a thousand <laughs> episodes, but I'm a cat guy. We have three cats. Um, so I would take a kitten, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, there's the food thing though, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I get sent food sometimes mm-hmm. from like networks or things. They'll send me right. some sort of food items so that you want to open at least relatively quickly if it's perishable. Yeah. Well, so I knew that it was, uh, a gift and I, I kind of knew what it was cause they had asked me a question, like a, a size question ahead of time. I knew it was merch, um, but I hadn't opened it and then I opened it today I'm being very cagey. I don't know why. I think because I feel guilty that I hadn't opened it. Um, uh, but but it was lovely. Thank you. But in the back of my head, I was like, what if there is something perishable in here too? But then thankfully there wasn't. So w- when you think that a, that an animal is being sent to you, do you think it's like a, hey, let's send Allison a puppy. She'll think it's so cute. Or is it like, F Allison Rosen, let's send her a dead puppy that oh. she's going to open. And like, I mean, how dark is it getting it's here not in terms th- of people sending you animals? It's not... I mean, it's dark because I've neglected the animal because I have let the box sit there and I don't open my mail in a timely fashion. So it's dark in that sense. It's never about the intent. 
It, my head, it doesn't go that far. It's not about why did they send me this. It's just about this, what hath I wrought by not opening stuff? Now there's something dead on my hands. Well, how how careful are you when opening the package? I mean, you don't want to stick jam a letter opener in there if there's a live animal in there. You got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I don't open it, maybe. <laughs> but, here's, but see, also like knocking around the back of my head, but not connected, but I think it is in some way, is the fact that I know that... Uh, my dad had fish tanks when I was growing up and he mm. would like send away for tropical fish and they mail those, but I in boxes where it says tropical fish and stuff. But then also I remember we incubated a quail egg uh, and then uh, had Robert the quail. And that also was something that was sent to us. And I think that I've, I think livestock is sent in the mail sometimes. And so I think that I have these stories in my head, but not, but not sent to me. Well, first off, a huge missed opportunity with naming your quail Robert. It should have been Dan Quail. I know. Uh, that's the first thing right there. Secondly, I don't know if you can see it behind me, but there's, do you see the tank? Back oh yeah. There? And like okay. a little, a little bottle of fish food. Yeah. So um, that's a story. So when my daughter was born, I was like, oh, you know, I want to make sure that Dale, my son, doesn't feel like neglected and I want to have some special time with him. So I'm like, I'm going to take him to the toy store and get him a toy. And so we walk up the street to the toy store and he's kind of like, oh, like, you know, he's like two. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, my God, like, let's get these like, you know, big blocks or something. I'm like, oh, no, but I find this kit and it's like, grow a frog. And I'm like, oh, like, why don't we get this? Like, you can just like learn how to like take care of something, your first pet. Perfect like, for a no, two-year-old. I, yeah. I mean, he, he's like, no, I think the blocks is actually, I'm like, no, 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 let's get the frog. <laughs> I strong-armed him getting the frog. Allison, I thought it would be like a goldfish. Mm -hmm. I thought this thing would like die in like a week or a month. It's still there. This is it's a 19-year-old like, frog? Yes. It's still oh my in God. that stupid tank. And, and BT dubs, <laughs> my son lost interest in this thing after like- Two days. Yeah, this is your so frog. Who, right. Who feeds the stupid frog? Who cleans the, the frog poop out of the tank? Who does all that? Me. Because I made the stupid mistake 19 years ago. I am just... I'm, I'm shuddering at the idea that this frog is 19 years old. Is that old yeah. for a frog? It yeah, seems well, guess old. what? Guess what? I'm going to now send it to you. You're worried about getting live <laughs> not, animals? It's going to be dead. I'm, I'm sending... Fine by me. <laughs> Fine by me. I'm sending you the frog. Uh, be very careful the way you open it, uh, but it's coming your way. I have a lot of questions. Okay. How big is this frog? It's not big. It's like you basically, it's like a tadpole and then it, uh, and then it becomes a frog. And then I got suckered into like, it's like, Hey, get a friend. Yeah. When I bought the tag, I said, like, get him a friend. So I got him a friend. The friend just died like, um, a, within the past year. So there's two of these idiots. That I've had to feed. Uh, at least now I'm down to one. I pray for it to die every day. Was I he, pray for this what's frog his to name? die every day. Well, that was the other thing is I stupidly let my son name them. <laughs> he was two. He named them Blue and Good. <laughs> so are literally their names. Is this blue or is this good? This is good. <laughs> How big is good? Are we talking like quarter size? Are these little yeah, tree He's a little frogs? bit bigger. He's a little bit bigger. He's like a, like a, uh, a little like... Um, He's like a little jar of Blistex or something, like a little tube of Blistex, <laughs> okay. I guess. I can imagine <laughs> that. And does he seem to know who you are? He has no idea. Does he live in water or is he like He's in, in water? In he's water. In, like, so he just swims tank. around. 
You have to buy filters for this stupid thing. What do you it's like, it drives me crazy. What happened? I know you probably don't anymore, but back when you'd go on vacation, what happened? Well, we have the cat sitters oh, and nice. we force the cat sitters to feed the stupid frog. It's also amazing that he's lasted this long considering you have three critters who would like to eat frogs in your house. This guy is going to outlast us all, Allison. Like we're going to be dead in the ground and this stupid frog is still going to be swimming around in that tank. I don't know who's going to be feeding him, but it's not going to be me. He literally is the bane of my existence. It's just been a huge pain in the ass. Um, and I rue the day that I bought him. Do you think he knows we're in a pandemic? Um, probably because we've been, because I've been home so much, right? Like we're, we've been home in here and like, I haven't left. I've kind of, like I said, I've, I've, I've turned my son's room into my like makeshift mm. office. So I'm in this room all the time, like glaring at him, like just like giving him a look. And, uh, so I think he probably has an idea. He's like, what is this guy doing? Are you sure you're not, I don't want to overstep, but are you sure you're not going to be sad when he shuffles off this mortal coil? No, I mean, I your son was two. No, okay, you're I, ready. I will not be sad. I don't think my son will be sad. I think my son will pretend to be sad. Mm. Um, I think he'll quickly recover from it. Got it. Uh, another segment we do on this show is, mm. hey, go fuck yourself. Oh, um, language. I know. Uh, is so, and by the way, it, it my producer for the ideal execution, my producer would be here to play the drop, and it sounds like oh. this. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Um, and it's just like a chorus, and it's just it's it's funny because it's crass, but it's beautiful sounding. So the way this works, and Tony edited out all the part where I'm explaining, is I'll wait, say- Wait, wait, wait. He's, he's not going to edit out the part where you sang it, though, is he? <sighs> now he's you not gotta going to. You've got to leave that in. No, 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 <laughs> okay. no. you got to leave that in. I think you not only do you need to leave that in, I- no, yeah, leave it in just for me. I want the live rendition. Since you made me wait a thousand episodes, <laughs> I think the live rendition should be special just for me. Okay. You can edit out the explanation, but that has to stay. Okay. So anyway, you will uh, explain who is working your nerves. And then at the end, you say, so hey, so-and-so. And then he'll insert the hey, 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 go fuck yourself drop. Did that make can sense? You, can, does he have to do the drop or can you sing it after I say it? Well, Tony, surprise us with whatever you want to okay. use. All right. All right. I'm hoping for the dulcet tones of <laughs> Alison Rosen singing after I tell someone to go uh, fuck themselves. All right. So we've already established I'm a cat guy. Yeah. Um. So I have this little issue that I've had. I love where I live. I love Montclair, New Jersey. It's just, I've been so happy here and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else um, unless it was uh, somewhere actually warm. And, um, but I have this issue where, listen, I'm a responsible person. Uh, I like to say I do my part in the community, Allison. And that means um, taking my trash can to the corner uh, when it's trash day, right? I put mm -hmm. some uh, bags. I got one of these old school, like like metal trash cans. It's not. This isn't some newfangled plastic operation, and and it's a very old school. You know, I, I don't know where you live. I know trash is different everywhere. Some place they got these uh, trash trucks that pick up the uh, the garbage can and like kind of dump. We it have into those. The back. Yeah, you have those. All right, yeah. we don't have those. We have old school. There's dudes riding on the side of the truck. Oh wow! Ju jump off the truck, and uh, then all they do is they'll. They'll open the lid off my trash can, then they'll pick up the bags of trash and they'll throw them into the, uh, into the back of the mm -hmm. truck. And then they'll get back on the truck looking like a badass and they'll kind of like hit the side of the truck twice and the driver will, will go on. Okay. That's our operation. 
Got so it. guy jumps off the truck, picks up the bags, throws them in the back, and they're gone. All right. So I bring my trash can out there, right? And then uh, the trash comes. And then, you know, maybe uh, in pre-pandemic, I'd be off at work or, uh, you know, I'm uh, here and now at home uh, in the meetings or working on a story or doing this or that. And finally, I'm like, oh, let me go now get the trash can and bring it from the corner back to the back of my house. Well, there's someone who mm. has been a mystery neighborhood um, uh, ne'er-do-well, oh, if no. you will. I feel like I already who, know where this is going. Who's been up to some activity that I'm not very pleased about. Because what's happening is I'm going to this empty trash can. And what am I finding? Dog poop. But a bag of poop. Yeah. A bag of poop in my trash can. And I got into this. I've gotten into this with some dog owners who defend this activity. And and once I've I've said my piece, I'll get your take on this, Allison, because they're like, well, they're doing the right thing. Yeah, they're, they're putting it in a it trash out. can. I've heard this argument. I hear it on oh Nextdoor. Oh my God. It drives me insane. I'm like, no, they're not. Here's what they're doing. If your dog poops, you pick it up, you bring it home. When you put it in my trash can, what's happening is you're forcing me now to mm-hmm. take it and put it into another bag so that it will be removed by the trash guy who picks up the big, you know, the big bags. He's not right. going to reach in there and take the little bag of poop off. So for the past, you know, few years, I keep, I seriously want to put like, um, like a, a nanny cam out in my yard to like find out who this mystery <laughs> oh, pooper dropper I think is. You should. It's been driving me insane in the membrane to quote my good friend, Cypress Hill. It is driving me crazy. And, uh, and I love everything else about my neighborhood except for this. So all I have to say is go fuck yourself. Mystery pooper dropper. Um, yeah, I'm with Wait, you. You didn't sing it. You, oh. Are you supposed to sing it there? Do it again. All right, ready? Okay, we're going to do this. is take two. And by the way, leave all this in. Yeah. This is just gold. Gold. Uh, so fuck you, mystery pooper dropper. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Oh my God, that was good. Thank you. Yeah. That we was came really alive. good. I agree with you. Uh, as someone who has a dog and, and her dog poops and I put it in a little bag, I'm, I would be, I'm very aware of like, this is a trash can that doesn't belong to me. And clearly it's just been emptied. And if I were to put my dog poop in this, then that person is going to have to live with it for six more days. No, like you're never unaware. And also part of walking your, we have a backyard, thankfully, but, um, but when I go on walks with Wendy, our dog, sometimes I carry a little bag of poop for the entire walk. Um, if you see a trash can that is full that's on the street about like the trash is going to come by and pick it up. I feel like that's fair game, but if it's a freshly emptied trash, no, you're okay. being a jerk. If you do it, here's what I'll say to you. I agree with you in your situation in Burbank with the auto pickup. Yeah. If you put in there, that's okay. But in a manual situation, it's never okay. It's never okay. Right. It's so, never okay. Cause so some guy, either me or the guy, the, the sanitation worker is going to have to pick up that bag, yeah. small bag of poop. Now you said that you've had some conversations with dog walkers. Are you on like the next door app? Cause that's where this all <laughs> no. goes down in Burbank. Yeah. No, I've, I've had like just, you know, with friends who are dog owners, mm-hmm. I've asked their opinion on this matter and had some, uh, it's, it's gotten a little heated. I'll be honest. It's gotten a little heated. Uh, in terms of the, how they feel about it and how I feel about it, I recognize I'm a cat man. They they say this is anti dog bias and slander. Oh wow! Uh, I I disagree. Oh, they went there. 
And by the way, I'm cleaning a lot of poop. I'm cleaning the cat poop. I have three, we have three cats. Like now I sound like a crazy person. No. We have three cats. And I'm cleaning three litter boxes. Actually, that's a lie. We have four litter boxes. I'm cleaning four litter boxes every day. So I don't mind getting my hands dirty, so to yeah. speak. But this is just, it's rude and it's disrespect. Who? What's the deal with the fourth litter box? Um, my cats are finicky, and so I just try to give them as many options as possible. There's okay. one cat who is uh, lets her displeasure be known, especially when we travel away, and uh, likes to relieve herself in places where she shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to discourage that type of behavior as much as possible. Do they all use all of them, or do some of them have their own box? So they all kind of um, – they all, they all have, they don't have their own box. They all kind of use all, we put them on different floors. Like we have one, in, we have actually two in the basement mm-hmm. and then one on the second floor, one on the third floor. So they, we give them options. You know, it's like ice cream. You don't want the same flavor every day. <laughs> uh, sometimes you just want to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean. By the way, do, what do you call the things that you put on ice cream that can sprink- be either. Chocolate- I call them sprinkles. You call them sprinkles. Do you call okay. them jimmies or pokies or something? Yeah. Jimmies. Yeah. Jimmies. You know, isn't that interesting? It is. It's so regional. Yeah, not it's regional. Not to sound like uh, a, an elitist, but we have three bathrooms in this house. That's right, three. But my husband and I fight over one bathroom, and we are like on the same schedule somehow. We both always need to use it at the same time. It's I and I find it highly annoying. Like somehow, I feel like as a lady. He should just use one of the other bathrooms because I should just get my own. I don't know. It's I recognize it's problematic, but anyway, it's weird. So I rec. I like that you're. Wait, no, you said your cats are not that flexible. They each have their favorite. No, they don't. No, they're oh. flexible. They're yes. flexible. Okay, I, pr- I you, your cats. Flexible. Your cats are doing it right. My husband and I are not flexible like that. We're not. It took me twenty years of marriage to figure out. Like, oh, why don't I put a tooth? brush and a tube of toothpaste in another bathroom could you talk to my husband yeah just so just so if she's in the one i don't have to sit there i can just still brush my teeth and go to bed Mm -hmm. like it took me 20 years to figure that out 20 years allison i know (laughs) not the sharpest tool in the shed so i have my preference but then i have my backup which i can go to in the apartment we lived in before we moved into this house there were two bathrooms and I can't remember how we settled on this, but somehow it was decided that the the nice one is mine and then the guest bathroom is his. Yeah. And that was that was great for me. <laughs> and then we moved into this house and I'm like, great. Now he has his choice of which one will be his. But then because the one that is connected to our bedroom has a much nicer shower, he's he he put his foot down. and He said, no, I'm sharing this one. And I said, fine. Fast. We had some drama over which side of the bed we sleep on. Oh, interesting. Be- because I, well, I couldn't figure it out. When we lived in New York City, I slept on the left side and she slept on the right side. And then when we moved to New Jersey, she switched to the left and I to the right. And I wasn't really sure why it happened, mm. but somehow it happened. Something about the room composition made her want to switch sides. It's weird after you sleep on – because I, I don't sleep on my back. I sleep on my side mm-hmm. and I like – like I want to be – I sleep out like away from my partner. Right. Because uh, I don't want them to smell my stinky breath. <laughs> uh, and so 
when you're all of a sudden for years sleeping on your left side and now you got to sleep on your right, uh, that's a transition. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It took, it, it took some a, a, a adapting. How are you with it now? I'm fine. Okay. I've been doing it for years. Yeah. I think what you need to do, what sometimes I just want to just mention this as an option. If the temperature's right, you can just flip and put, I mean, just in the middle of the night, if you need to, you can flip and put your feet at the head of the bed and your head at the <laughs> foot of the bed. And then you will be facing out. Just put my feet right in her face. Yeah. That's sure right. That. <laughs> I'm sure I'm getting at 20 more years of marriage with that one. That's Wait, I'm now I'm sorry. I'm realizing, okay. Yes, that would work. Then you would be facing out. Right. Um, Dalton, it has been nothing but a joy to catch up with you. This has been awesome. Let's do this before another thousand elapsed. You think so? I think so. <laughs> Especially because, okay, so I've got the the one-on-one that comes out on Mondays, and then I've got the group show that comes out on Thursdays, and that is less of like a deep dive interview and more of a just like we talk about our lives and it's silly mm. and we uh, there's segments we do and stuff like that. Maybe you should come on that one. Well, my life is so fascinating. Uh, never leaving, <laughs> never leaving my little uh, house here. I mean, I literally never go out. It's so sad. I don't even have kids to like go out for. I, I haven't been to an office in two years. It's uh, it's it's pathetic. Um, but uh, there's always some sort of uh, you know, um, insanity happening uh, in my corner for for one reason or another. Usually self inflicted. Uh, now, when you say you never go out, are you like even more so not going out right now though with this new variant? Yeah, but it's also like, well, winter, I hate going out anyway. Um, and I'm, uh, so I don't want to get on another rant, but, and now I feel like the world's catching up to me. <laughs> for, for, I really do feel like I'm a pioneer, if I may say so, mm-hmm. Allison, in this sure. field. I feel like you blaze the trail. I am a, you know, some people follow trails, others blaze them. I blaze. I have been saying for years, and I realize this is not as big a deal for you out there in Burbank as it is here on the East Coast. I've been saying for years that we need to abolish standard time. I hate standard time. I hate that it gets dark at 4 p.m. And it's cold here. So when it gets dark at 4 p.m. is cold. And so, uh, yeah, I basically just hibernate like a bear uh, through the winter. How do you feel about super hot weather? Because I hate that. Here's my feeling about super hot weather. I complain so much about the cold. And yes, again, have lived my entire life on the East Coast. <laughs> I complain so much about it that I feel like I don't have a right to complain about the heat. Oh, interesting. I feel interesting. like I just got to take it. I feel like you get to complain about one type of weather. Pick the weather you want to complain about. Go all in, but shut your yap about anything uh, outside that, that zone. My so eyes have gotten really wide because I'm very excited by this rule. Yeah. That is I the feel, that should yeah. be the rule. It now, is. It's not it's hard for rule. me because I like I cold weather. I hate hot weather. So for me, it's just like very straightforward. But for other people, yes, you get to complain about one. This is the this kind is of becoming. Yeah. I wish we were twins because now we'd have a parent <laughs> trap situation. You like the yes. cold weather. You could come live here. Yes. I'll go out there. Right. I'll all of a sudden be everyone's new best friend. Uh, we'll switch spots and we'll just uh, that's the way we'll do it. You're you'd be Sharon. I'd be Susan. Exactly. I think you could go out to the ranch. I'd go to Boston (laughs) or wherever they are. Um, This has been, do you, do you still go out to Babel Island? Uh, I have not been, uh, not true. I was there a few years ago. My father for his 75th birthday, we had a big birthday celebration. We all went out to Babel Island. We had three generations. uh, Oh, nice. It was tons of fun. 
Um, but that's really the only time I've been there in the past, you know, decade or so. Right. It was a blast though. Nice. Thank you so much. I want to remind everyone that I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Bonus episodes of The Friend Zone. You can see videos of the Thursday show. This video you can see on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Go there, subscribe, and you can see my other Monday shows there. Uh, and there's a level where you can, on Patreon, where you can text me and I'll text you back. And there's Zoom parties and all sorts of fun stuff. If you sign up for a year, so do the annual subscription, you get 12 months for the price of 10. I also want to remind you guys that I co-host a new podcast called Upworthy Weekly. It's a lighthearted news podcast, but like lighthearted funny news, um, heartwarming news. And that comes out on Saturdays. Check out my other podcast, Childish, that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review. Click five stars. I just realized you can review podcasts on Spotify. I didn't even realize that before. So Apple, Spotify, wherever you are, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, Click five stars, please. Leave us a nice comment. Tell a friend. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Dalton, where can they find you? What should they look out for, et cetera? I mean, um, you can find me on the Twitter. Uh, I'm at Dalton Ross. That's easy. That's my name. It really annoys me because I'm on Instagram, but I couldn't get at Dalton Ross. I hate uh, having different handles yeah. for my Twitter and my Instagram. And my Instagram handle is not nearly as good. It's at the Dalton Ross, like, which sounds like pompous and annoying, but that's just what I came up with when I started my Instagram account to like monitor my kids. <laughs> uh, but now I do a lot of stuff on there. Um, so at the Dalton Ross on Instagram, at Dalton Ross on Twitter. Obviously, I'm doing all the stuff for an Entertainment Weekly, so you can read my stuff uh, there uh, if you uh, so desire. Do you want to give out the Instagram handle of your secret seven-inch account? Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, it's at punk dot singles, um, which I also hate. I hate underscores and periods in yeah. in titles, but I used one for some reason. Uh, but it's at punk dot singles. It's a it's very niche, people. It's very niche. If unless you like punk rock forty fives, not going to be up your alley. But if you're curious what the hell it's about, you can check it. out. <laughs> There's like literally like four followers on it. You can be number five. I'll be the fifth. Thank okay. you so much, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best friend.